Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. This episode is from the Rethinking My Life series, and it is called Changing the Way I Think About Love. All right, hey, grab your uh, listening guide. Let's talk, so we've been talking about how that I need to rethink my life. And to rethink my life, I've got to change how I think altogether. And so as we look at this, we're going to talk today about rethinking how I think about love. One of the challenges for us is that we let the culture around us define love. In fact, anymore, honestly, what we see with the word love is <clears throat> we see it substituted for really liking something. Like, I love pizza, which by the way, I don't, but some of you would identify with that. So, Or let's make love. And we're not actually talking about love with either of those things. We get our, we get our definition from the culture. So I thought it'd be interesting. I went to Billboard's top 50 love songs of all time. And I, on my phone, I downloaded something called, what is it called? It's called the, oh, the Random Picker. And it's an app, and you set the parameters. So I set the parameters from 1 to 50, and I just hit it, and I had it randomly select numbers. And then I just looked up that song. And then I put them in an order from worst to the, the, the best here. Recognize these songs that kind of tell us what we think about love? Number 45 was this. You lost that love and feeling. Remember that one? The Righteous Brothers. I just called to say I love you. Right, that was number 38. Number 31 was I want to know what love is. Yeah, I should have gone into music, right? Number 30 was What's love got to do, got to do with this? By the way, do you know who sings that song better than Tina Turner? Anybody. Um, I think I love you. You know that one, you're showing your age in a big way right there, right? Love Roller Coaster by the Ohio Players. I got nothing on that one. Uh, all I know from... Uh, uh, Ohio players was uh, fire, and I got that from Hell's Kitchen, right? Um, number 24, love will keep us together, apparently sang by a pair of muskrats at some point. Um, number 14, crazy little thing called love, which I respect Freddie Mercury's talent too much to ruin one of his songs. I don't want him to come haunt me. Um, Number, uh, the number one, well, the number one on their list was this one, my endless love. Know that one? But I think the song that most of us feel should probably be number one was just because of the title, 1975 Nazareth, Love Hurts, right? <laughs> love Hurts, Love Scars. I'm not going to try it. Love wounds and marks, any heart not tough, not tough or strong enough to take a lot of pain. 
Love is like a cloud, holds a lot of rain. Love hurts. Oh, oh, love hurts. And by the way, if you actually just go look at the lyrics of that song, it makes no sense. It is so many mixed metaphors that are just really bad. So the world tells us how to think about love. Well, let's talk about love from a biblical perspective. Let's talk about rethinking our, our view of love. And it's, port- it's really important that you and I admit that unlike what we believed in our teen years, um, love isn't all warm fuzzies, rainbows, cotton candy, and unicorns. Love can be hard. Love hurts, right? Um, Sometimes love gets tested. Sometimes love disappoints us. So I want to give you four things to rethink about love today. Some ways you need to change your thinking. So you need to shift over to these. All right, number one. My love must center on God and not people. My love must center on God and not people. See, the key to loving people is to actually love God first and foremost. You know why? Because God is loving and consistent, and people are idiots. There's just times where you just have your fill of people, and it's hard to love them. So there were members of a uh, religious political party called the Pharisees, and they're trying to trap Jesus. They hated him because when he would teach, he would teach truth, and it always made them look bad. And quite honestly, Jesus liked poking the bear on that one just a little bit. And so he would call them out from time to time. So they sent a guy in to challenge Jesus and try to discredit him. So the guy comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what was the greatest commandment? I mean, what's the most important thing in the world? Matthew 22 in your notes. Here's what Jesus said. I'm going to have you circle two words. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. I think Luke adds in all your strength, right? Verse 38 This is the, circle this word, first, this is the first and, circle this word, greatest commandment. Now, what does he mean when he says this is the first commandment? So that word that we translate first there literally means the very first. It means from the very beginning. It means from the first day. It means this is the primary command from the beginning of everything is to love God. And that word we translate as Greatest, the word Jesus used there is actually the word megali, from which we get the word mega. It means this is the biggest. This is the most awesome command. So what he says is, this is literally the very first massive overriding command. This is the original command. And what he's doing is, he's referencing back to what his crowd knew. Now keep in mind, the crowd Jesus talked to, Even the women had the first five books of the New Testament memorized by the time they were 13 or 14 years, of the Old Testament, sorry, memorized by the time they were 13 or 14 years old. They had the first five books memorized verbatim. Now, you and I, we struggled to pull off the Gettysburg Address in the seventh grade, right? Most of us got C's on that one. Yeah, no, they had it memorized word for word. So when Jesus starts saying this, he's actually going back and drawing to their minds stuff that they know and think about every day. Exodus chapter 20. Here's one of his first references that he's going back to. Remember this from the Ten Commandments? You must have how many other gods before me? None. You shouldn't have any. And then Moses, so you kind of consider the book of Deuteronomy like a giant commentary on the Ten Commandments. 
And so Moses goes on and he explains to the children of Israel about the Ten Commandments. Here's how he describes and explains this. Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord, how many? Alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And what's our response to be to this command? And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. King Solomon, who was the wisest man to ever live, as he approaches the end of his chaotic life, and his life was chaotic because he had wisdom and chose not to apply it in his later years. He summarized his life like this. Well, he summarized all of life like this, Ecclesiastes 12. Now, everything has been heard. He's just gone back, and the whole front part of Ecclesiastes is him laying out what happened in life. Now, everything has been heard, and here's my final advice. He finally kicks some wisdom back in. Honor God and obey His commands. This is the most important thing people can do. So my love has got to center on and in God, not in people. First and foremost, and always in God. That's the starting point. All right, number two, my love must be outward focused. So the world wants to suggest to you a lie that is incredibly popular and shows up in all forms of media I mean, you definitely get this one from the, the Disney princesses. But it's most clearly stated in a song. It was actually recorded first by George Benson in 1977, but nobody cared. And then uh, 1985, Whitney Houston picked it up and sang it. You'll recognize these words. It's from the song, The Greatest Love of All. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love who? Yourself is the greatest love of all. Folks, loving yourself is not the greatest love of all. Loving yourself is how you end up finishing your news as a or finishing your life as a headline dying from a drug overdose in a bathtub. <laughs> loving yourself is not the key. Jesus explained that the key to love, the greatest love of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then he expanded on the first mega command, and he goes, there's actually another command that's equal to that one. It's also a mega command. Then it actually goes all the way back to the beginning. And I'm telling you, when this crowd that was trying to trap him heard him say this, they got dizzy. I mean, you can see them sitting off to the side with a paper bag at their head between their knees because he's about to throw them crazy. Matthew 22, verse 39. A second is how important? Equally important. Love your neighbor how? As yourself. Listen, see, he's not saying that you shouldn't love yourself, but he's saying that unless you learn to love from God you're going to be a narcissist. And you're going to make life all about you. 
So there is a diagnosis in the American Psychological Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders that explains the diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. Rather than just go through it, let me just tell you this. It could be another verse to Whitney Houston's song about loving yourself and not thinking about anybody else. And honestly, it could be the second verse to any song you like to listen to when you're angry. And you need to puff yourself up. And it can certainly be an echo of most of the advice people give each other about loving themselves. It's stuff that centers on self. See, the reason we love God first and foremost is that God is love. And it's only from God that you and I are going to be able to learn to live a healthy type of love. See, when we understand God's love, when we understand how much God loves us, when we understand what God did for us selflessly on His part, the first thing it does in us is it creates humility in here. The second thing it does is it teaches us our value to God, but it also teaches us the value of all the people around us to God. And the third thing it does is it gives us the desire to love like God. You say, well, I, you know, I don't know if I have to have God to love people. Can I tell you that any love that isn't centered in God is a satanic deception? It's not the real thing. It may make you feel good about yourself, but that's narcissism. <laughs> See, we talked about Satan trying to deceive us. Satan tempting us. It's really important to remember that Satan has never once tried to get you to love and serve Satan. Satan doesn't want statues of him put up around places for you to go bow down to. He doesn't even want a church of his own. What Satan wants you to do is to love and serve yourself. That's the win for him. If you love and serve yourself, you're rebelling against God. See, when you're living selfishly, you'll always be living against God's plan for your life. So because the Holy Spirit knows our tendency to gravitate toward what makes us comfortable, toward what we like, toward selfish ends, man, there are so many verses in just the New Testament that remind us that we have this ever, in this life, we're going to have this ever-constant struggle between, well, my decision to love, you know, do what I want to do, my selfishness, and my desire to serve others. There's always going to be a struggle there. Watch this from Romans 12. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. That's Paul going, you're not that good. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Romans 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud. Circle that word proud. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't be afraid to spend time with lesser mortals. And don't think you're the smartest person in the room. Philippians chapter 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. James 4. 
But he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scriptures say, God opposes who? The proud. Okay, so that word he uses there for the proud? It's a Greek word that's used, and it literally means someone who thinks they shine brighter than everyone else. <laughs> so you think you're better at it than everybody else. That's proud. He says God opposes you when you think you're the brightest star in the sky. But God favors the humble, Galatians 5. For you've been called to live in freedom, so enjoy your freedom, brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, which is focused on yourself. Instead, use your freedom to do what? To serve one another. Man, there's 30-some there's other verses just like those. But the bottom line is this. Love that centers on oneself is not godly love. And therefore, it's a satanic deception. So my love can't be focused inward. My love has to be focused first on God and second, beyond myself. All right, number three. To whom I give my love is a willful choice. So I choose who I'm going to love. Now, we have in, in Western culture, especially in American culture, we use a term that actually denies responsibility for love. And we said, I don't know how it happened. I just fell in love. It's like I'm walking through my house at night in the dark, and I trip over something, and wham, bam, I'm in love. Don't know how it happened. That has never been how love works. You always make a choice about who you're going to love. We choose who we're going to love. We also choose who we are not going to love. You say, well, you're telling me I choose how to love. I don't even know how to love God. And I realize that sometimes we confuse love with a feeling. Love and a feeling are not the same thing. Love is a choice I made, and I can love someone without having warm fuzzies about them. Right? Because love's a choice we make. One of the tests of our love is also a choice about our behavior. Watch this from John 14. Jesus is saying, all who love me will what? Do what I say. So there's the test of whether or not you love Jesus. Do you do what he says? My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. So he says, look, here's a checklist for yourself. Do you love me? Then you'll be doing what I'm saying. You'll be doing what I say. If you don't love me, you'll be finding ways around what I say. You'll be trying to find ways to avoid what I say. And he says, oh, yeah, you say you love God, but, you know, you're just not going to do what I said. Whatever I say is actually coming from God. <laughs> so if you don't do what I say, then you don't love me or God. So we love God by making a choice to do what he says, to be obedient. And obedience to God always 
results in a service to others. There's always a benefit to others when we serve God. Watch this from 1 John 3. So this is the same guy that we just read a little bit later expanding on this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Here, underline the rest of that verse up to number 17, up to verse 17. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So he says, are you get it? So just like Jesus gave up his life for us, we need to be prepared to give up our lives for others. He's not talking about dying here. He's talking about living in such a way that we relinquish our rights for the benefit of others. And just in case, well, I'm sure that he dealt with dense people back then, just like we deal with dense people now, he gives an example. Here's what he says, verse 17. For example, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how ironic that verse is there today. You see a brother or sister in need. I mean, we've even set it up so easy. You can put this one in with one stroke. We have compassion set up on the table back there for you to help those who are in need. If someone has enough money to live well and sees another brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. He's saying, don't just be posers. Let us show the truth. How? By our actions, because love is action. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God, we don't have to guess whether or not we serve God. We'll know we served God. All right, number four. Learning to love appropriately will be the highest achievement in life. It will be the exact opposite of the Benson Houston hit song. 1 Corinthians 13. And by the way, just so you understand, this portion of the love chapter is all sarcasm. All right, so if you don't read it with like some kind of New Jersey sarcastic accent going on, you're probably missing the point. If I could speak with, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, what he's saying is, I may think I have the gifts of the Spirit, but if I don't love people, I do not have the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> because the Spirit brings with him love. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body. How many times do you have people say, I would die for you. I love you so much, I would die for you. But no, I'm not going to your game today. Right? No, I'm not going to help with the dishes. If I gave everything I have, if, if I gave everything I have to the point even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. Look what I did. But if I didn't have, or if I didn't love others, underline here to the end, I would have gained nothing. Listen, he's reminding us, your works do not save you, but they do show whether or not you're saved. They're like an ID card. See, if you miss the godly love thing, you miss everything about Christianity. 1 Corinthians 13. Three things will last forever. 
faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. Do you realize that you're not going to need faith in heaven? Because your faith's going to be made sight. Do you realize you're not going to need hope in heaven? Because you're going to be right there with Christ, who is hope. However, love still runs in heaven. Romans chapter 8. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Because God's love is the greatest, right? No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why your whole concept of love has to be based in God. That's why you have to love God first. And you have to love outward from that point on. All right, let's do a little checklist here. Conclusion. If I'm not experiencing God's love, you say, well, I'm, I'm really not. I don't feel like I'm experiencing God's love. I don't feel like I'm experiencing God's love. All right, let me give you three things real quick. A, it's time to feed my heart with God's truth. Man, I need to, I need to get back into Scripture. I need to get back into Bible study. And by the way, you need to quit chasing a feeling. Just because you don't feel God's love doesn't mean it isn't there. A lot of times that's more a statement of, of our position toward God than his position with us. A lot of that feeding is going to come, by the way, in the presence of other people. You say, well, I just want to talk to God. I just want to have God speak to me. God speaks to you through other people. I know it's irritating, but he does. All right, especially when you think you're the smartest person in the room, which you've been told not to do, right? Or did you miss that? All right, B. It's time to free my heart of shame. I went to visit with a young lady who was absolutely destroying her life and wrecking, wrecking her family. And she told me, she said, I, I've just decided I'm going to live my life with no regrets. And I looked at her and I said, I don't think that means what you think it means. And her thing was, that I'm just going to live and I choose not to regret anything I do. I'll just own it and go on. Listen, that's not what we're talking about. A lot of people prefer to reject shame. Can I tell you, shame is the only way you get, get access to grace, by the way. <laughs> it starts with shame because you realize you need a savior. But rejecting shame isn't how you get rid of it. You let Jesus take it. You confess your shame. You confess the cause of your shame, which is sin. And you take responsibility. You surrender yourself to Jesus. And the shame gets removed. Man, I'll tell you what. People go, oh man, if you knew what I have done in my life, you wouldn't want to be around me. Man, I'm not going to kid you. If you knew some of the stuff I've done, you wouldn't want to be around me either. And the truth is, whatever you've done, <laughs> I don't go to the boat, but I would go on this one. <laughs> I would bet money we've got people here in this church that would embarrass you because they're better at sinning than you were. <laughs> you were an amateur compared to some of them. Some of them, yeah, don't look at Bill Kozlowski at all. <laughs> some of them have a master's degree in sin. 
I mean, they took it on. They got an engineering degree in how to screw up life. And you know what they did? They learned to accept the shame of what they did. They learned to take the guilt. And they learned to let Jesus deal with it and show them how to deal with it. They didn't try to save themselves. They admitted they couldn't. That's what you've got to do. It's the only way you're going to be free of shame. And the last thing. See, it's time to choose to be willing. Quit making excuses for why you can't surrender to Jesus. Quit making excuses for why your love life is so screwed up. Some of you are always looking forward to the next ex-spouse. You're always in pursuit of the next divorce attorney, right? Man, you've got to learn how to love the way God loves. You've got to let God love people through you. Some of you run from relationship to relationship, from job to job. Nothing's ever good enough. And the reason it's not good enough is because you keep going with you and you won't deal with you. You have to be willing to let Jesus take this from you. You have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit work through you. You've got to rethink what you believe about love. Because our culture has given us a satanic deception. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us, for your mercy. Father, we thank you that even when we're trying to deny the very shame that we're trying to hide from, you've already seen it and you've already expressed a willingness to forgive it and take it from us. Father, so many of us, we spend our lives searching for love in all the wrong places. And yet you're chasing us. You're pursuing us, trying to get us to turn and look and see what real love is. Father, be with each of us this week through the, the, the spotlight of your Spirit. Father, shine into the darkest corners and closets of our lives. Help us clean out the shame. Help us clean out the lies and the sin. Father, help us find your grace in all areas and help us show our love through the change in our behavior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.